the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, my fans, from CU at the Game. After a much-needed week off for the CU players, coaches, and fans, we're back at it. After a quick recap of the loss to USC, no need to dwell too long on the 37-14 defeat, Brad, Neil, and I will talk about the changes, or the lack thereof, in Carl Durrell's first bye week as the head coach at the University of Colorado. We'll then move on to our preview of the CU-Arizona game. Our tips will let you know which Wildcats to be on the lookout for, which team might have the emotional advantage, and a look at some of the scary stats that these two struggling teams have put up so far this season. Now, if you haven't already, please remember to subscribe to the podcast at your favorite site, and please leave us a review and a five-star rating. All of that helps get the word out to the rest of the Buff Nation. CU is listed as a six-point favorite to beat Arizona. Can the Buffs prove Las Vegas right and pick up a desperately needed win over the Wildcats? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back after a week off, a bye week for us all. Brad, how are things in Highlands Ranch? Uh, We are doing well here. They... uh are telling us that sometime later this week we may get a dusting of snow, which is typical for mid-October, but it was a glorious weekend. Okay, and high atop downtown Denver. Neil, how's it going there for you? Well, Larimer Square is fully lit and open for business. Um, I think with all their Bronco decor, they don't have many Bronco fans down there. Sort of bespeaks of the state of football in the state of Colorado. Well, I hope you can uh, get some snow out of this storm. I was just telling you guys that our power went out today, and uh, we got six to eight inches of snow in beautiful Bozeman, Montana today. So fall has, well, fallen. Um, (laughs) We did get some fall color this year, but uh, I'm afraid that when this all melts next week, that there will not be much in the way of fall color left. Um, Speaking of fallen, we should start. Our podcast, as we usually do, by talking about CU's last game. We won't dwell on this for very long. Final score, USC 37, Colorado 14. USC not only more than doubled up the score, 494 yards of total offense to 242. 21st downs to 11 for Colorado. But Colorado did have twice as many turnovers as USC. Um, So there was... Something that CU led in, at least one category. 
So, Brett, any positives to take from the most current University of Colorado football game, the 37 to 14 home loss to USC? The offense, which in previously on a scale to a one to a hundred had been a five, was perhaps a seven. There was some signs of life, but we talked in the preview about is USC really more talented than CU? And sadly, at least in some circumstances, the answer was clearly yes. I guess if you want to say something defensive, yes, the score was bad, but at least two of those plays were made because USC has one inc- one outstanding athlete who will be playing professional ball next year at a very high level. And, and London is just, we don't have anybody who can play with him. Most teams will not have anybody who can play with him. Yes. Um, so we just got walked. Both sides of the ball, all areas of the field, except the punter. It just <laughs> was not, I was there. It was a gorgeous fall day but there wasn't much to be happy about. Well, tis true, tis true. So, Neil, 15th straight loss to USC. The consensus was if CU was ever going to get USC, this was their chance. USC has gotten run over by the likes of Stanford, Oregon State, and now Utah. So, What was keeping the University of Colorado from picking up victory number one against the hated Trojans? Uh, I think Brad summarized it well. There is still some talent gap um, and a very wide one at some positions and some position groups. I think CU was outcoached, frankly, by the interim USD staff. We had some doubts about them going into the game, and they had a fine game plan. And their team seemed motivated and ready to play. I'm not sure about CU in terms of how ready to play they were. We did see some positive stuff from, as Brad mentioned also, from the offense, some very, very minuscule improvement. Uh, I think the biggest takeaway for me was that this was such a clear message to the CU fans and to the coaches that some changes had to be made. And my hope is that they will finally realize that and make some meaningful change in their scheme and whatever it is they're doing. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't necessarily sound like it's going to be the case. Brad, let me read you quotes from Carl Durrell's Monday press conference. So this is after the bye week, after a week of practices to put in whatever changes might be made. And of course, Calderell was asked directly about whether or not there would be any changes with regards to play calling, with regards to the coaching staff. And these were his words, quote, we are moving forward with the subtle changes that we did make. There is no change in terms of the dynamics and what we're doing for play calling offensively or defensively. No change in roles from a play calling standpoint. The detail of how we are prepping our guys, we've done some adjustments that way. We've given more responsibility to other people on the staff from a preparation standpoint 
But in terms of play calling and stuff like that, it's going to remain the same. Now, for a team that is averaging 13.8 points per game, and of course that's including the 35 from the Northern Colorado game, basically Colorado is averaging 8.5 points per game against FBS opponents. Are you optimistic about these subtle changes that the University of Colorado might be making before the Arizona game? I have two concerns. One, the problems aren't subtle, so it seems like solutions will not be either. The second, and I'm perhaps even more concerning, is I understand we hired Carl Durrell to be the grown-up in the room and the guy not to freak out and the guy not to panic. But at some point, when the fans, when the supporters, when bottom line is the people who are paying your salary and all that, see how bad this team is. For you to say, oh, we're that close. We almost got this. Treats us like fools. Now, I understand coach speak, and I don't expect Carl Durrell to go running around Folsom Field screaming. But at some point, acknowledge what is absolutely clear to those of us who watch the game. There are serious problems here, and that those serious problems need serious solutions. And to come out and say, oh, we're going to make subtle changes, it's fine to be loyal to your people. And remember, this is a guy who did not make subtle changes in the offseason. He changed the defensive coordinator, who people thought was doing a good job. He is capable of major change. Why he is not able to stand up and say, yeah, things aren't working, and we're going to change it, and we're going to fix it, I do not grasp. Okay, Neil. So we've got a coach that uh, Brad wants to be shouting from the highest rafters that we're going to make serious changes Is that actually even possible in uh, a situation where he can't really hire an offensive coordinator off the waiver wire? Is is it the right thing to do to just downplay it? Or should he be appeasing the fan base and telling us that there are major changes coming? (sighs) This is a black box to me. I don't understand what's happening inside this team my sense is that there is a duel going on between the OC and the head coach in terms of how the offense is to be run and I think Darrell gets the final word and this appears to be a very conservative NFL type offense you know don't take many risks be very conservative play defense and it's based on the assumption that talent among the teams is relatively level. Clearly, that's inapplicable here. And I think that rather than just tweaking this and that and trying to refine some of the things in practice and going back to fundamentals, they need to decide exactly who they are and open things up. They have nothing to lose at this point because if they continue with the offense the way it is, and I guess what I'm saying is that I'm putting more of the the blame on the head coach rather than the offensive coordinator, that Darrell needs to lighten up and open things up a little bit and let his OC do some of the spread stuff that he wants to do. We have nothing to lose at this point. So minor tweaks just don't get it. 
Well, I think there'd be universal agreement on that part. But Brad, I mean, going back to the subtle changes that Carl Durrell talked about in his press conference, granted that the choice of words could have been significantly better to appease the fan base, are you willing, hoping to give the offensive staff, whether it's Carl Durrell, Darren Shiverini, or Danny Langsdorf, you could pick your villain here, the idea that there are significant changes, that there will be something different coming, and they just don't want to tip off the Arizona coaching staff about what their their hand is going to be played. I don't see how coming out and saying, we understand the offense is not functioning well, we've gathered together as a group, we're going to be better about play calling, would somehow give Arizona, and of course that staff, which has shown itself to be geniuses, just in waiting, some sort of unfair advantage. Again, I'm stuck with this. Carl Durrell's the coach. He will be the coach next year. Who will be coaching with him? I have no idea. So this is who we've got for a coach, somebody who's always going to be calm, who is always going to try to downplay emotions, at least in public. That's fine. I get to be frustrated by that as a fan. One thing I don't think he is is stupid. And so, yes, there's going to be changes. Whether or not we have, I mean, we're going to find out, particularly this week, is it the coaching or is it the team or is it the players? Because you've had two weeks to prepare for the worst team in the league, a just atrocious team to come into your tech, come in to your field. And if you can't make improvements into that circumstance, then everything's wrong. Yeah. Well, that might be a good enough segue. Unless, Neil, you want to say anything more about how what you are looking for or what you think would be acceptable from this offense or from this offensive scheme uh, from the first quarter on, play one, series one, what would make you happy if you saw play X run in the first series against Arizona? I would like to see something other than single back one zero personnel. I'd like to see maybe two running backs in the backfield, maybe some gap formations, maybe some gap plays, some power other than simply one-on-one blocking at the point of attack, because I think we've demonstrated that we cannot do that. We need to have some other schematic approach that will allow our talent perhaps to do something that it might do a little bit better. I think, too, that we have to start throwing the ball on first down. We started out that way last week, but too often in our drives, it's run the ball from a single back formation on first down, gain two, do the same thing on second down, we're at third and six, and we throw a four-yard pass, have an incompletion, have the receivers run into one another, or take a sack. That routine has to change. They just have to mix up formations. They have to mix up blocking schemes. And they have to, I think, do some simple patterns where the quarterback is able to take one quick read and get rid of the ball. He's demonstrated that up to this point, he can't go through a series of progressions, at least not consistently. So they need to, I think, simplify it. 
and just let the players play. But let's try some different schemes. Yeah. Well, hopefully there's a little bit of good news on the offensive line. Carl Rell said that Frank Phillip is working the rest off and he's catching up with his reps. So he should be able to be a full go and that Max Ray, the transfer from Ohio State is out of the concussion protocol and will be cleared for full practices starting on Tuesday. So maybe if the tackles improve that uh, at least some of the running game and maybe the passing game will improve as well. So let's turn our attention to the University of Arizona. As we know, as everyone knows, two facts. One, that they're coming to Boulder on a 17-game losing streak, the worst streak, current streak in FBS, and the worst in Pac-12 history. Hey, there's a record that Colorado doesn't have. And two, that the last team that Arizona beat a little over two calendar years ago was none other than, what was it? Oh, yeah. See you in Boulder. So those are two uh, fast facts that you're going to hear on and on and over and over again throughout the week leading up to the game. And if you're watching the game on television, I am quite sure that both of those stats will be mentioned. Arizona, Brad, you think that they are one of the four worst teams in FBS. Uh, Colorado can't be too far ahead on your scale of FBS teams. So just overview of talent, what do you uh, see coming out of Arizona? What do you uh, fear out of coming out of the Arizona lineup? It's so hard to tell. So far, they haven't put fear into anyone. They're going to be playing with a backup quarterback. If there's an argument that CU is better, is higher than Arizona, it's that Arizona has no game where they played as well as CU did against Texas A&M, who may or may not be a good team, depending on if they're playing in Tuscaloosa. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's difficult. I have what little you watch of Arizona. It is very difficult to see what they think they're doing, what they think their offense is, what they think their defense is. Yeah. I think we are, at places more talented. They don't have a player as good as, as Nate Lamon, for example. They do not seem capable of stopping teams at any important point. They're in some ways like CU. They can bend for a while and then they don't just break. They shatter like movie glass. So I think this is a case where we do appear to be the more talented, even Slightly better coached team. Okay. Well, the quarterback you're talking about, Jordan McLeod, Arizona's gone through three starters, Neil, so far this season. So apparently they have no problem pulling the trigger when it comes to putting in a backup quarterback. So McLeod seemed to be doing pretty well. He came in, he got his first start against Oregon. He did play fairly well. He did five interceptions. If you can play fairly well and have five interceptions and had Arizona within a, a score, it was 24-16 in the fourth quarter against UCLA Saturday night when he got hurt, going to be replaced by Gunner Cruz, who actually started the first two games of the season, threw for a bunch of yards against BYU. Now, Brad says that Arizona is not capable of staying with anybody. However, they were 
24 to 16 against BYU. It was only 24 to 19 in the fourth quarter against Oregon on the road in Eugene. And it was 24 16 in the fourth quarter against UCLA last weekend. Now, the University of Colorado has been down 20 to nothing in the third quarter against Minnesota. Colorado has been within two touchdowns of an opponent in the fourth quarter in the last three games. So is, uh, is Brad given Arizona the short shrift here? Is Arizona actually a very competitive team? I watched a little bit of the UCLA game. I watched the third quarter. And it was against UCLA's defense, which has proven to be not very good. Arizona was moving the ball a little bit on the ground and in the air. And they looked as if they were on the cusp of rallying, perhaps making a a real game out of it. Their quarterback went down, and after that, they were abysmal. So given that we are facing that same backup quarterback, I have a sense that it's going to be a battle of two inept offenses against a couple of not bad defenses. So I think Brad is is accurate in his description of it. I think the circumstances this week favor CU just because their quarterback may be on the same level as ours. Yeah. And to your point, I'd like to to compliment the Oklahoma football coach that took uh, their starter, their five-star recruit out of the game after a fumble and uh, after a couple of turnovers, had no qualms whatsoever about changing quarterbacks. Obviously, they had someone very good to go to, but perhaps it's time that no matter how things are going, we get a look at Mr. Carter. Well, Again, yeah, if Drew Carter, you have to believe, you'd have to hope that if Drew Carter was the better quarterback, he would already be playing. But we don't know that until he actually gets in the game. does seem, Brad, like Colorado caught a bit of a break without having to play a mobile quarterback because that seems to be CU's Achilles heel. Uh, Gunner Cruz is a stand-in-the-pocket kind of quarterback he is not particularly mobile certainly not as mobile as the quarterback he's replacing however he does you know did have 336 passing yards against BYU which until last weekend was the number 10 team in the country and had knocked off several Pac-12 schools schools that Colorado can't beat Uh, Brendan Lewis in five games has 475 yards passing Uh, so He can throw the ball, and I don't want to be the bad guy again because I talked about Drake London last week, and Drake London had a career – well, he's having career games against everybody. But um, And to the CU defensive back's credit against the USC game, not to go back, he was covered. He was just a superior football player. The player I'm concerned about this week would be Stanley Berryhill, who is the – Wide receiver slash part-time running back has 397 yards receiving. Uh, Compare that to Colorado's number one receiver, which is Brady Russell, which has 124 yards receiving. But, Brad, you don't think there's anything to uh, be afraid of in the Arizona lineup? 
no, no, no. I didn't say that. The way this team is playing, there are solid high school teams that would give CU some worry. That said, Stanley Berry Hill has 397 yards receiving and a touchdown. Arizona is 124th in red zone efficiency. They have proven almost incapable of actually scoring in most circumstances. You know, Cruz played well against BYU and then had, uh, what, 70 yards against San Diego State. It's, again, not worrying. I worry about every team right now. But we are facing a team that we should be substantially better than at home in what appears to be decent weather. I mean, Arizona, we're not showing much this season. Arizona hasn't shown anything for the last three seasons. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Okay. Well, Neil, Arizona had a bye week before they played UCLA. And they had four, I think, of their first six drives against UCLA, went for over 10 plays. One play was two, you know, a two-play drive right before the halftime. The other was a nine-play drive, which was their actual touchdown drive. But they were going 12 plays, 10 plays, 15 plays, but ending up with field goals. And to Brad's point, their their red zone offense is not effective. Can we depend on the Colorado bend, but hopefully do not break in the red zone defense to keep CU in the game long enough for the CU offense to actually score double digits? Uh, Yeah, I think we can, actually. I think the CU defense this week should have a good game in that with the backup quarterback, Arizona is going to be playing. They will be 1.5 dimensional, and it will be an easier task to defend them. Even though Barry Hill is a good receiver, he's quick, uh, he gets open, they won't be able to get the ball to him on a regular basis. And due to the lack of mobility in Arizona's QB, I think they'll sh- they should be able to pressure him, if not tackle him in the backfield. So... I think the the prognosis for CU's defense is good uh, in that regard, and I anticipate that Arizona is not going to score more than 17 points. And to that end, they're averaging about 17 points a game uh, through the first six games of the, the season. But Colorado, of course, can't even match that total. Brad, do you – the Arizona does have a good pass defense, but they have a lousy – rush defense so this would seemingly play into an offensive coordinator's hands that is trying to wean a freshman quarterback it's hard to believe that Jarek Roussard with 256 yards actually has more yards rushing than Arizona's leading rusher Drake Anderson at 240 yards didn't think there was anybody in the nation that had a leading rusher that was you know had fewer yards than what we had at Colorado but they can't stop the run, or at least, you know, that's not their forte. They had 200-yard rushers, UCLA did, over 300 yards rushing for the game. Dorian Thompson-Robinson only had like 80 yards passing in that game. They scored 34 points with not having 100 yards passing. Now, that seems tailor-made to Colorado offense 2021. So is that your reason for optimism, that the University of Colorado can get past I don't know, into the 20-point range against Arizona? 
Yeah, I think we may actually even control time of possession, which would be dang near miraculous. This this has to be Clayton left, Broussard right, Clayton left, Broussard up the middle, Brady Russell four yards down the field. Let's just keep matriculating. We should be better up front, offensive line against their defensive line. Yeah, it, 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 counting on our offense to sustain eight, 10, 12 play drives. I understand we haven't seen that yet, but that's how we're going to win this game. And, um, and then, you know, the defense has to step up. I keep rooting for Carson Wells to hit somebody at some point. And maybe this is the quarterback who tends to stand in the pocket and who tends to hold the ball too long, who will finally see some of that pressure. Well, you think that, it's going to happen, Neil. And Mustafa Johnson's been in the fold for several weeks now. And hopefully Carson Wells, Terrence Lang will hit people, as Brad wants, before the whistle or not grab their face mask or otherwise incur a, a defensive 15-yard penalty. How do you see this playing out? I mean, do you think that Colorado can actually sustain a drive? Do you think they can actually force three and outs? against a team that had, again, like I said, five possessions of 9, 10, 15 plays against UCLA? Or is this going to be a frustrating afternoon for CU fans that Arizona just does what Brad was hoping that CU would do, keep matriculating down the field, holding on to the ball for seven, eight minutes at a time, and ending up with uh, a touchdown instead of a field goal and Colorado fans end up being unhappy again. Two components to your question, I'm sorry, is that how will the defense do? I think we match up better against them in terms of being able to stop the running game, number one, because I think we're just better. Uh, Two, we should be able to pressure the passer and force them into mistakes, force them into third and longs, and then should not allow Arizona to have those long time-consuming drives. Um, On offense, I think there needs to be some variety in the running game, as I mentioned before. Need to keep a back end to help with pass protection because I think that's still going to be a problem. But overall, this is the best matchup that CU will face all year from a Power 5 team. And I think they actually have a chance on both sides of the ball to hold Arizona down and to have a few successful drives where they actually score touchdowns. Well, and a turnover or two might not be a bad idea, uh, considering I think CU has generated three turnovers in five games. And Arizona's turned the ball over 12 times. So they're averaging two turnovers per game. So that would be helpful for the University of Colorado offense if they didn't have to drive 80 yards to try and score. Okay, so we're looking at prediction time. Neil, once again, congratulations. You held off on your prediction until the very end. Didn't uh, tip your hand too much. Two teams, one averaging 17 points a game, one averaging 13 points a game. And Colorado is the one with the 13, both teams in the 120s. Nationally, have 130 teams in scoring offense, so probably not a high-scoring game. What do you? How do you see it playing out Saturday afternoon in Folsom Field? 
I think Arizona will not sc- uh, score their average. I think CU is going to hold them to somewhere in the neighborhood of 16 to 13 points. That said, then I think Colorado will be able to probably score somewhere in the neighborhood of, I'm going to go way off off uh, book here and say about 23, somewhere in there. So I, I'll say 23-13. Okay. Well, Brad, Colorado is a, a six-point favorite, probably perhaps depending on how Cal does against Oregon, how CU does against Arizona, that this might be the last time Colorado is favored in a game the rest of the 2021 season. So they see it as a six-point game. How uh, how do you see it unfolding Saturday afternoon? You know, who am I to go against Vegas? Um, <laughs> I think something I, – I, I think Neil's very close. I feel it's uh, something like 24-16. Arizona, once again, can't get in the end zone and kicks field goals. It just – it feels like – I will not be comfortable at that game until the very last play, I fear. But I suspect that in the end, CU will be slightly stronger, slightly better, and is able to pull this game out. Okay. Well, let me get, let me ask you guys this question. And assuming CU wins this game, will CU be able to win another game the rest of the season? There's Cal which is struggling this season a lot more than was supposed to on the road next weekend. Then you're talking about going on the road to face Oregon, a team which, by the way, was only ahead of Arizona by five points in the fourth quarter. Then coming home, you got Oregon State, which until the loss to Washington State was the the bell of the ball. Then you got UCLA on the road, which is – an up-and-down team that Colorado has a tough time dealing with when playing in the Rose Bowl. Washington at home, which, again, team that lost to Montana. And finishing off with Utah, which just got done destroying USC. So, assuming for the moment that Colorado can win against Arizona, do you see other wins in the season? And let me put you the second part of the question is, you can't beat Arizona are you done thinking that Colorado has a chance of doing anything other than finishing one and 11? If we can't beat Arizona, then we're even worse than we thought. And there's not a team on here that can be had. If we, if we make subtle or non-subtle changes with the offense and are actually able to move the ball against Arizona and refine the running game, then yeah, we could beat Cal. We might be able to stay with Oregon state. I don't see us competing against UCLA or Washington or sadly even Utah. They're just better teams than we are right now. This team would have to make tremendous leaps to be expected to be capable of playing with any of those teams. Cal is bad. Um, I haven't watched a lot of them, but they're bad. But we're on the road. Um, So, yeah, we thought Minnesota would be a bellwether. It was. It told us how bad we were. Um, now we see exactly how bad that is. If we come out and handily handle Arizona with a running game and a better offense, then yeah, we could get sneak into Cal and do something. I don't see us capable of doing that against the other teams on the schedule. Yeah. Neil, the, the same, 
Well, I mean, playing against on the road against Cal is not as bad, you know, simply because they only fill up half their stadium. But again, it is a road game and CU has to prove to somebody that they can beat somebody that's an FBS school before we can get too excited about anybody else. Are you of the same mind that it's kind of make or break Arizona or bust? Actually, I do. I think if CU does not play well and does not win, then it's going to be very hard on the team going forward to uh, to muster the the energy and the spirit to be able to to play well the rest of the year. I agree with Brad that Cal looks like the best win candidate there, but it is it is in Berkeley. CU has not played well there. The only other possibility might be a Washington team that is just kind of down on itself too. Maybe uh, CU can sneak in there and do something. Other than that, uh, I think the other teams are clearly superior, and CU probably has no chance against anyone else. Okay. Well, well, I'll leave on a down note. So any words of wisdom you want to pass along to the Buff Nation on an upbeat note? Finish it off for us. As frustrated as I am with Darrell, he still remains the leader of the team. He still stands out and takes the hits. I think he is still trying to figure out who his coaching staff is and who his team is. So once again, take the long view. Okay. How about you, Neil? Any words of wisdom to pass along? I think what we're realizing now is that last season was a bit of a fluke, if not a pretty large fluke. And that CU's true character, I think, was exposed against Utah and then against Texas. Fans have to realize that for a variety of reasons, CU's just not very good right now. The talent um, probably is not up to what a Pac-12 middle of the the Pac-12 team should be. So we just have to lower our expectations and be satisfied with some improvement somewhere. Um, And if they can do that and play well, even if they lose, that's about the best we can expect for most of the games going forward. So the advice would be lower your expectations. Well, not the upbeat words of wisdom I was hoping for, but we'll let that be the last words. And we will talk again next week. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, as always, for listening. As we are past our bye week, we will be resuming our weekly podcast for the remainder of the season. Podcasts will be posted on Tuesday mornings with my written preview, my personal tips, going up on the See at the Game website on Wednesday mornings. Then, every Friday morning, my Friday Fast Facts are posted with notes and quotes to impress your buff friends. My game stories go up shortly after the game ends on Saturdays with my game essays posted each Sunday morning. Lather, rinse, repeat from here until December. Thanks again for listening and sticking with your struggling buffs. The few, the proud, 
the Buff Fan. Until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.